Chapter fifty six of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter fifty six. The Mysterious Maniac. Stay, jailer, stay, and hear my woe. She is not mad who kneels to thee, for what I am, full well I know, and what I was, and what should be. I'll rave no more in proud despair. My language shall be calm, though sad. But yet I'll truly, firmly swear, I am not mad. No, no, not mad. M. G. Lewis. It was at the close of a beautiful day in early spring that Traverse Rock, accompanying the old doctor and the old sister, reached the grove on the borders of the beautiful lake upon the banks of which was situated the calm retreat. A large, low, white building surrounded with piazzas and shaded by fragrant and flowering southern trees. It looked like a luxurious country seat of some wealthy merchant or planter rather than a prison for the insane. Dr. Sajan conducted his young assistant into a broad and cool hall on each side of which doors opened into spacious rooms occupied by the proprietor and his household. The cells of the patients, as it appeared, were upstairs. The country doctor and the matron who had been in charge during the absence of the proprietor and his sister now came forward to welcome the party and report the state of the institution and its inmates. All were as usual, the country doctor said, except Mademoiselle. And what of her? How is Mademoiselle? A patient most interesting, Dr. Rock, said the old Frenchman, alternately questioning his substitute and addressing Traverse. She has stopped her violent ravings, and seems to me to be sinking into a state of stupid despair, replied the substitute. A patient most interesting, my young friend, a history most pathetic. You shall hear of it some time, but come into the parlor, and you, Angel, my sister, ring and order coffee, said the old Frenchman, leading the way into a pleasant apartment on the right of the hall, furnished with straw matting upon the floor, and bamboo settees and chairs around the walls. Here coffee was presently served to the travellers, who soon after retired for the night. Traverse's room was a large, pleasant apartment at the end of a wide, long hall, on each side of which were the doors opening into the cells of the patients. Fatigued by his journey, Traverse slept soundly through the night, but early in the morning he was rudely awakened by the sounds of maniac voices from the cells. Some were crying, some laughing aloud some groaning and howling, and some holding forth in fancied exhortations. He dressed himself quickly, and left his room to walk down the length of the long hall and observe the cells on each side. The doors were at regular intervals, and each door had in its center a small opening to enable the proprietor to look upon the patients. As these were all women, and some of them delicate and refined even in their insanity, Travers felt shocked at this necessary, if it were necessary, exposure of their sanctuary. The cells were, in fact, small bedrooms, that with their whitewashed walls and white-curtained beds, and windows looking excessively neat, clean and cool, but also, it must be confessed, very bare, dreary, and cheerless. Even a looking-glass would be a great benefit to those poor girls— for I remember that even Clara, in her violent grief, and mother in her lifelong sorrow, never neglected their looking-glass and personal appearance, said Travers to himself, as he passed down the hall, and resolved that this little indulgence should be afforded the patients. And except those first involuntary glances, he scrupulously avoided looking in through the gratings upon those helpless women, who had no means of secluding themselves. 
but as he turned to go down the stairs, his eyes went full into an opposite cell, and fell upon a vision of beauty and sorrow that immediately riveted his gaze. It was a small and graceful female figure, clothed in deep black, seated by the window, with her elbow resting upon the sill, and her chin supported on her hand. Her eyes were cast down until her eyelashes lay like inky lines upon her snow-white cheek. Her face, of classic regularity and marble whiteness, bore a ghastly contrast to the long eyelashes, arched eyebrows, and silken ringlets black as midnight. She might have been a statue or a pitcher, so motionless she sat. Conscious of the wrong of gazing upon this solitary woman, Travers forced his looks away and passed on downstairs, where he again met the old doctor and Mademoiselle Angèle at breakfast. After breakfast, Dr. Sajan invited his young assistant to accompany him on a round of visits to the patients, and they went immediately up to the hall, at the end of which Travers had slept. There are our incurables, but they are not violent. Incurables never are. Poor Mademoiselle, she has just been conveyed to this ward, said the doctor, opening the door of the first cell on the right at the head of the stairs, and admitting Travers at once into the presence of the beautiful, black-haired, snow-faced woman who had so much interested him. This is my friend, Dr. Rock, Mademoiselle. Doctor, this is my friend, Mademoiselle Mot de Saint-Père. Travers bowed profoundly, and the lady arose, curtsied, and resumed her seat saying coldly, "'I have told you, monsieur, never to address me as mademoiselle. You persist in doing so, and I shall never notice the insult again.' Ten thousand pardons, madame, but if madame will always look so young, so beautiful, can I ever remember that she is a widow?' The classic lip of the woman curled in scorn, and she disdained a reply. "'I take an appeal to monsieur le docteur. Is not madame young and beautiful?' asked the Frenchman, turning to Travers while the splendid black eyes of the stranger passed from the one to the other. Travers caught the glance of the lady, and bowed gravely. It was the most delicate and proper reply. She smiled almost as gravely, and with a much kinder expression than any she had bestowed upon the Frenchman. "'And how has Madame fared during my absence so long? The servants, have they been respectful? Have they been observant? Have they been obedient to the will of Madame?' "'Madame has but to speak,' said the doctor." bowing politely. "'Why should I speak when every word I utter you believe, or affect to believe, to be the ravings of a maniac? I will speak no more,' said the lady, turning away her superb dark eyes and looking out of the window. "'Ah, madame will not so punish her friend, her servant, her slave.' A gesture of fierce impatience and disgust was the only reply deigned by the lady. "'Come away. She is angry and may become dangerously excited,' said the old doctor, leading the way from the cell. "'Did you tell me this lady is one of the incurables?' inquired Travers, when they had left her apartment. "'Bah, yes, poor girl. Vera incurable, as my sister would say. Yet she appears to me to be perfectly sane, as well as exceedingly beautiful and interesting. Ah, bah, my excellent, my admirable, my inexperienced young friend, that is all you know of lunatics.' with more or less violence of assertion, they every one insist upon their sanity, just as criminals protest their innocence. Ah, bah, you shall go into every cell in this world, and find not one lunatic among them, sneered the old doctor, as he led the way into the next little room. 
It was indeed as he had foretold, and Traverse Rock found himself deeply affected by the melancholy, the earnest, and sometimes the violent manner in which the poor unfortunates protested their sanity, and implored or demanded to be restored to home and friends. "'You perceive,' said the doctor, with a dry laugh, "'that they are none of them crazy.' "'I see,' said Traverse, "'but I also detect a very great difference between that lovely woman in the south cell and these other inmates.' "'Bah, bah, bah! She is more beautiful, more accomplished, more refined than the others, and she is in one of her lucid intervals. That is all. But as to a difference between her insanity and that of the other patients, it lies in this, that she is the most hopelessly mad of the whole lot. She has been mad eighteen years.' "'Is it possible?' exclaimed Traverse incredulously. "'She lost her reason at the age of sixteen, and she is now thirty-four. You can calculate.' It is amazing and very sorrowful. How beautiful she is! Yes, her beauty was a fatal gift. It is a sad story. Ah, it is a sad story. You shall hear it when we get through. I can connect no idea of woman's frailty with that refined and intellectual face, said Traverse coldly. Ah, bah, you are young. You know not the world. You, my innocent, my pious young friend, said the old doctor, as they crossed the hall to go into the next wing of the building in which were situated the men's wards. Travers found nothing that particularly interested him in this department, and when they had concluded their round of visits, and were seated together in the old doctor's study, Travers asked him for the story of his beautiful patient. The doctor shrugged his shoulders. "'It is a story miserable, as I told you before. A gentleman, illustrious from Virginia, an officer high in the army, and distinguished in the war. He brought this woman to me nearly three years ago.' He informed me that, oh, bien, I had better tell you the story in my own manner. This young lady, Mademoiselle Mon de Saint-Père, is of a family noble and distinguished, a relative of this officer, illustrious and brave. At fifteen, Mademoiselle met a man, handsome and without honor. Ah, bah, you understand. At sixteen the child became a fallen angel. She lost her reason through sorrow and shame. This relative, this gentleman, illustrious and noble, tender and compassionate, took her to the seclusion of his country house, where she lived in elegance, luxury, and honor. But as the years passed, her malady increased, her presence became dangerous. In a word, the gentleman, distinguished and noble, saw the advertisement of my calm retreat, my institution incomparable, and he wrote to me. In a word, he liked my terms, and brought to me his young relative, so lovely and so unfortunate. Ah, he is a good man, this officer, so gallant, so chivalrous, but she is ungrateful. Ungrateful? Ah, bah! Yes, it is the way of lunatics. They ever imagine their best friends to be their worst enemies. This poor, crazed creature fancies that she is the sister-in-law of this officer illustrious. She thinks that she is the widow of his elder brother, whom she imagines he murdered, and that she is the mother of children, whom she says he has abducted or destroyed, so that he may enjoy the estate that is her widow's dower, and their orphan's patrimony. That is the reason why she insists on being called Madame, instead of Mademoiselle, and we indulge her when we think of it. But all this is very singular. Ah, bah! Who can account for a lunatic's fancies? She is the maddest of the whole lot." Sometimes she used to become so violent that we would have to restrain her. But lately, Dr. Wood tells me, she is quite still. That we consider a bad sign. 
"'There is always hope for a lunatic until they begin to sink into this state,' said the doctor, with an air of competency. End of chapter 56